senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 43. Yet another episode, two in a row, we were just screwing around with new audio equipment. This thing is like the Frankenstein's monster now of audio equipment. Well, it, oh, believe me, I can make it a lot worse. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it a lot worse. Excellent. Once I, Man, if I had some money, this thing, <laughs> this thing would be a monstrosity. It's... Well, all right, here's what's different from this week and, and last week. Last week was the first time we set up the big mixer and tried to wire stuff into it, and a lot of it worked. Um, I had some trouble getting the computer wired in, even though I was able to get some sound effects to work. The stereo didn't work, and it turned out, yeah, I was using a mono cable and trying That'll to force, yeah, force <laughs> stereo into a mono without mixing it out and for whatever reason you can't just go straight stereo to mono so i had to go out and buy a whole nother shitload of cables so right now with the computer i've got a, a one-eighth cable that splits into rca cables like the red and white that come out of your dvd player that you plug into your your tv and then i've got those going back into an adapter that turns it back into one-eighth plugged into another adapter to turn it into a quarter so it'll actually fit into the board and you said that you had to do that because if you tried to just put them straight into the board you couldn't hear anything yeah it's i had to turn it way way all the way up to barely hear it and it just didn't work it's so odd i, I know and then you know you, you can't get stuff like and pull your damn pants up <laughs> won't you kid these days <laughs> For fuck's sake Rob. <laughs> I, I spent a little bit more time on the internet finding new sound clips look we don't get a ton of listener feedback but we got some listener feedback saying that they like the sound clips. That's great. I'm going to buy a cowbell. Is that going to help? I'm not going to do cowbell. I'm not going to do Oh, it. you're not going to do cowbell. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, this, I will get this out of my system. I, I didn't I didn't get too many, but I, I had a few that I, I simply could not Somebody ignore. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> and really, that's advice to live by. Cowbell. <laughs> you are by far the dumbest most pathetic piece of maggoty shit that has ever slid from a human being's hairy ass. And I want you to think about that tonight as you go to bed. <laughs> Alone, I imagine. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll cut it out. But So yes, this is actually working, so it will work much better for Skype, which was the ultimate goal. Um, the other thing you're going to find listening to this show, it sounds just generally much different because... There's a thing they do at radio stations, because I used to work in radio and I, I knew about it, um, <laughs> called compression. And what it is is it processes the sounds and makes everything sound at a much more consistent level so it's easier to listen to. As opposed to keeping you from bleeding out after a stabbing, which is where my mind goes. Yes, that's. I imagine I'm going to need that if I play <laughs> one more fucking sound clip. But So yeah, and it's something that they use in radio stations because it requires an expensive piece of equipment that you need some form of degree to learn how to operate. But I found there's a software way to do it that we're going to process the sound with when we're done. So overall, this is going to sound very differently. Hopefully it'll sound better. It's not going to auto-tune us, right? 
I don't want to sound like Kanye West. Uh, I I would imagine Kanye West doesn't want to sound like Kanye West. I could get auto tune onto this. Don't. <laughs> just just I, don't. I would never do that. And I think you're thinking more T Pain. I I don't know. Look, I, I listen to the local classic rock station. I barely know who any of these people are to start with. So. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's been a fun four or five hours of just d- dicking around with this stuff that has now, you know, I worked so hard to clear this room out to become a studio and immediately moved all this equipment in. It's a goddamn wreck again. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you having fun doing the show yeah. with headphones you can actually hear from? It's very exciting. <laughs> it, it is, and the cat's destroyed none of it yet. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm going to need a sip of beer. You sound great. We're just like, you know... One misstep or spark away from an electrical fire. That's all. Oh, yeah. With a power <laughs> surge, we're both going to die. Like pigs in a chute. We'll be killed immediately. You know, all this electrical equipment wired directly to our heads with, with headphones. And that's how we find our way into the Matrix. <laughs> I wish I could be in the Matrix. I could do Kung Fu. I could walk upstairs without breathing hard. There's a lot of stuff I could do in the Matrix that I'm really kind of for. And if we could find a way to do that, I'd be very pleased. Okay. But Now I know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> the Matrix turned me into a human meat sack battery. I'm not far from that as it is. I just sit here radiating heat, doing very little, entertaining strangers on the internet. So it's like the Matrix anyway. There you go. So, so yeah, um, lots of fun with sound equipment. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What do we want to start with? What do we want to start with? Um. You found that they're selling underoos again. Yeah, you want to know what I want for Christmas. Oh, God. That's, now, if if you're a, a younger listener, you might not know what underoos are. But in the late 70s, uh, Fruit of the Loom came out. Now, first of all, you need to understand what it was like to be a comic book fan of any kind, but particularly as a kid in the 70s. Nothing... Nothing had jumped to movies yet. It was just, yeah. everything was just in the comic books, and there were one or two shows on. So you, you couldn't just. There was no graffiti designs. There was yeah. no internet. There was no place you could go. There was no hot topic. Yes. <laughs> and hot topic is the one carrying these underoos, and I, I had to learn it from the internet because I've never been in a hot topic because I love my parents. I don't have anything to prove to them. <laughs> so. But yeah, in in the late seventies, early eighties, if you wanted a Batman t-shirt, you might be able to go to like a t-shirt store at the mall and they might have one of those iron-on transfers or you could buy books of them. Those are very big in the 80s. Yeah. You have these horrible, almost vinyl things that you give to your mom to iron on and inevitably there'd be 500 bubbles in it because you didn't lay it flat. So. And then the, the first time you washed it, it started to peel off. It, yeah. yeah, so it looks like, yeah, that's Yoda, but Yoda with, like, more leprosy than whatever's <laughs> afflicting Yoda anyway. So that was the only way you could get geek t-shirts. You know, for the big movies, like, yeah, Star Wars and Empire, you could go to JCPenney and they'd, they'd have some. Yeah. But if you wanted a Batman t-shirt, you weren't able to get them. But then in the late 70s, Fruit of the Loom came out with underoos, which were, yeah, it was underpants and t-shirts yeah, like for, a tank top. Yeah, for kids. And it was a weird dichotomy because also in the late 70s, since none of this stuff was in the movies, if you read Batman, you were a geek and you were swirling on a regular basis. So you'd wear this under your clothes to make you feel better about yourself. Well, no, but it was also... 
You're making this sound very creepy. And that's not what it was about, <laughs> goddammit. And you know that. It's so, true. I had some. <laughs> but, but no, it's also the gimmick was, you know, Superman wore his costume under his clothes. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a certain amount of, yeah, you could be cosplaying in your head while still Getting not being... Swirly. Yeah, not being atomic wedgied across the fucking schoolyard. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was it was huge. And then you know, certainly I wasn't allowed. And I don't know anybody else who was allowed to just wear the t-shirts to school because, yeah. especially you know, if you were a girl, because it was it was tank top and yeah, yeah, that was that wasn't going to happen. But <laughs> even when it came to novelty t-shirts, you know, it was pretty rare. You know, the first day you got the Luke Skywalker t-shirt, yeah, okay, you can wear that to to school, but then. Yeah, never again. It wasn't until high school you could start actually wearing T-shirts. So, so yeah, it was. You'd wear these things to school, and I still remember in third grade. I don't remember the kid's name, and he's lucky because he'd die by my fucking hand if I found him again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm at lunch, and I had the Spider-Man underoos on under my button-down shirt, and he saw through the side, so he reached over and pop my two top buttons to show everybody, look, he's wearing Spider-Man underoos. <laughs> Luckily, I knew this kid mm-hmm. and knew him well enough. I just grabbed his shirt and yanked it down. He had the fucking Batman underoos. <laughs> he's just trying to score points on me, the pile of shit. <laughs> so, Touche. <laughs> yeah, so I won that one, and he wins by me not finding him. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's and underoos kind of went away. Their time kind of past and certainly we got a pair in like the the children's large which was like you know 14 to 16 or something children's large um for my next door neighbor because she was about four foot ten but she really was like a a wonder woman she was like the woman who was always out like skiing and doing like like really crazy things and somehow not dying okay she was that person okay (laughs) it managed to raise like five kids that were all like burly soccer players that were like six plus feet and you know didn't kill any of them (laughs) (laughs) okay so steroids and various fertility drugs but she was she was 410 she's this tiny little thing so but she so she fit into (laughs) the the children's extra large or children's large ones that we got her as a gag gift uh the wonder woman pattern (laughs) all right so yeah, I mean, I haven't had any uh, yeah since I was probably third or fourth grade, and uh, yeah, I have a credit card and graffiti designs that I can go to, <laughs> but you know, there's a certain amount of nostalgia in it. The thing is, they don't have all of them yet. No, they don't. I went to the website, and uh, yeah, if you're itching for some bedroom play or <laughs> yeah, just, so now you're making now you're making it creepy. Well, or, all right, <laughs> or you need to wear something underneath your suit to work so you don't cry from the futility of your day-to-day life which i'm not ruling those days out Make they no have mistake. some harley ones i'm thinking about getting them <laughs> yeah there's harley quinn uh but there's batman but it's in no way modern it looks like directly from the fucking underoos <laughs> in 1978 which means the 1966 batman version with a big oval and yeah it's just not yeah you know, uh superman wonder woman uh for masters of the universe fans which i was a little too old for he-man and skeletor uh Batgirl and Captain America. That's it. No Spider-Man. Hmm. I would buy the Spider-Man, I think. Yeah. yeah if only for the, the pure nostalgia of it. Well, maybe someday soon. I mean, that would be the sad thing, because we do not have formal dress at my day job, so <laughs> I would go to the day job with a flannel shirt on over a graffiti-designed Spider-Man shirt over my Spider-Man underoos, because I don't want people to know. 
Just keep it under layers. Well, I think the excuse is uh, we live in New England and it gets cold in the winter, so maybe you do need three layers. We're not talking an excuse here. I just... Uh, why do you got to make this normal, for Christ's sake? <laughs> gotta First st- I'm making it creepy, then I'm making it normal. <laughs> you got to st- stomp on this whole thing with logic. I don't... Just buy the goddamn underwears. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch what the price was when I looked at it. I don't want to say it's like twenty, twenty-five bucks. Probably. I should order some, if only so I have clean underwear on Monday. Will they overnight them? Uh, maybe. No, actually, I can't do it because then the hot topic will have my fucking yeah, see my, my information, and I can't have that. That's you know, y- you have to pick your battles. I think. <laughs> How yeah. much information do I want out there? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with the NSA out there, my name's already hooked to enough weird and strange things without also being attached to Hot Topic. That, that'll that be the final thing to get me yanked out of every flight line. The uh, Hot Topic underoos go for $19.60, if I'm reading this right, at least for the Batgirl ones. Oh, because clearly those are the ones that I need. Yeah, well, you know... For those fun times in the bedroom, I. <laughs> you said bedroom and not men's room, right? Because that's a whole different party. The bus station. <laughs> now some of these are twenty four fifty. Like Wonder Woman is uh, twenty four fifty. Superman has been marked down from twenty four fifty to nineteen sixty. Um, nobody wants to be Superman. I don't know why Wonder Woman is not marked down. Like that's the only one that's still full price. Everything else is nineteen sixty. Uh, she's got the movie coming out. She's a well-known fantasy for geeks. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will probably not be getting the underoos. Because frankly, I you know, I'm older. I have money. I have rarefied tastes. That's not that's not bedroom cosplay unless I need gauntlets and a grappling gun. And, and this is batarangs. Where I sleep in the car. <laughs> well, all right. I'll be good. <laughs> But it was uh, those things were were key when I was a kid. That was the only way to get those T-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was weird being a comic fan in the seventies when you're seven years old. Yeah. So, believe it or not, that actually kind of leads into one of our main topics. It does. I didn't think it would. I just thought it was goofy it's... that there were underoos for grown-ups. <laughs> I thought that'd be a fun way to knock off five minutes. Just joking about that. Yeah. But, but so yeah, and I thought of this from last week's show where we brought up we called it Batgirl 2 because it really feels like yeah with the revamp of Batgirl they should have just renumbered it you know they, right. they renumbered Suicide Squad and Deathstroke I don't know why they didn't do Batgirl but it's a good question but yeah I mean it it feels like uh Batgirl 35 should be Batgirl 1 where they completely revamped the character and you know changed the costume and turned her from serious-minded oracle with you know a serious revenge motivation to selfie girl yeah and girl drink drunk and tinder motivated and (laughs) you know a genius with computers but doesn't know enough to back her shit up to dropbox i mean well it's head desk head desk (laughs) well and it's one of those things as we were talking about it you know we only talked about it a little bit during the show but afterwards it's they have clearly tacked Batgirl in a direction that's not for us, and that's right. fine. Not every comic book needs to be for us. Yeah, you know, we are middle. You know, I'm I'm prime time for comic books these days. I'm a middle aged white 
dude. Yep. Um, you know, you've got everything but the dude part. Um, <laughs> this is very true. Well, <laughs> well, no, it's every week we go to the comic store, and it's the same people every week. It's all people in their late thirties, early forties. Every single one of us is a white male, except for you. And True. except for one black dude who's an aerospace engineer, and you didn't go to the comic store this week, that made a hell of an interesting conversation about Interstellar. Talking about that with an aerospace engineer, we've not seen it yet. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to hold our seat at the bar. Well, and I believe me, I appreciate that, because then nobody had to get hurt later on. But but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> his big thing. Again, we've not seen it. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but he's like, yeah, they... They had this huge multi-stage rocket to to obtain separation from Earth, and then they just keep going to these other planets in this little spaceship that that's able to achieve escape velocity. I'm like, oh well, you've ruined it for me. Now I won't be able to watch any of it. But it made it kind of an interesting conversation. Yeah. But, but well, it, I, I mean, bat, somebody's buying Batgirl 35. I'm looking at Bleeding Cool. They have their sort of they get sales figures from certain retailers and kind of. You know, from there determine you know what is selling well based on what a handful of retailers across the country say okay. is selling well. And Batgirl came in fifth. Batgirl number thirty five came in fifth for October. Okay, well, I actually went online and got actual sales figures for the hey! last several <laughs> months. Almost okay. like almost like we have an actual radio show here as and, opposed to me and just my you know phone well, <laughs> it's almost like i try to take this seriously with hundreds and hundreds of dollars of sound equipment up here but <laughs> um there are no november sales numbers yet obviously november isn't done right uh batgirl 35 in october was number 19 overall okay. with, with 62644 sales wow now in september September was number 26 with 59,563, but that was a Future's End 1 okay. uh, crossover, the sort of five years later, a, a one-shot. Um, it wasn't part of actual you know, numbering. Uh, Batgirl 34 was in August. That was number 60 with 34,590. Now, when did this new creative team... It was 35 in October. Okay. So, so that was with 62,600. So there was odd. definitely a boost from... Definitely a boost because uh, Batgirl 33 in July was number 79 uh, with around 37,000 sold. 32 in June was number 30 with 47,000. Um, only reason, you know, that was the middle of the Nightfall storyline. There wasn't anything special about the story, but that was the bombshell variant cover oh, okay. month. So that may have bumped the sales up. But, uh, and yeah, back in May with number 31 with nothing in particular going on, it was uh, 31, about 31,500. Okay. So definitely the first issue, this has had an effect. Now, with this kind of major redesign, it's too early to tell if that's... If it's going to have legs. Yeah, if it's sticking or if it's just a lot of people going, great, let me give it a try, and treating it like a first issue, which it sort of is in... Yeah. But it, it clearly, it had an effect. Um, and clearly they did it to appeal to a different demographic than us. Yeah. And... For us, it's kind of a weird situation because almost every comic is made, in particular for people like me, mm -hmm. and while that's awesome for people like me, if you take a step back, that's the death of comics. Yeah. You know, I'm going to age out and die. Someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given how I just sit and radiate heat, <laughs> could be any day. It's hard to say. So... 
yeah, it, and the thing is, everybody wants to see themselves in their entertainment. They just, they do. I mean, I don't play Commander Shepard um, in Mass Effect you know, as a white dude with a beard because I like looking at man-ass while they shoot aliens. That's because <laughs> I like to identify with the people in my entertainment, and I think that's human nature. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, it's it's not a hard and fast rule. I enjoy Captain Marvel. Uh, Black Panther, The Man Without Fear run a couple of years ago by David Liss with a lot of Francesco Francavilla art. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite pulpy books of, of the last several years. Absolutely. So it's, it's not a hard and fast rule, but in general, I think people like to see them themselves in it. They like to see a, yeah, a character in the book they can identify with. Well, it's a, I don't even think it's just a character in the book. They like to see the lead. Yeah. The, you know, Jim Wilson running around with the Hulk in the 70s, you know, it was nice to have an African-American gentleman in the book, but... I didn't. I bought it for the green guy. Well, that's why I liked Ed Brubaker's Fatal because you know I like to see myself as um, sort of Necronomicon kind of you know um, absorbed and uh, you know. That's why you should be reading Velvet, <laughs> a flat out middle aged ass kicking female. Actually, yeah. don't read that because <laughs> I fear for my life on a day to day basis anyway. In a lot of ways, so no, that is a good book. It's it it's it's an excellent book. Um, I was just making a, a really failed Cthulhu joke. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Um, I mean, I, I like... What have I been reading lately that I can get behind? Um, That's a good question. I, I've been reading a lot of the Bat Family books, and so, you know, I like Grayson, not necessarily because I see myself as a, a young dude running around in a CIA kind of story, but... I, <laughs> Now I'm not going to be able to stop seeing you that way, <laughs> and I'll be sleeping in the car. Thank you. But I, I like I like that kind of you know James Bond kind of story, I guess. Um, which gets back well, to I should read Velvet more, I guess. Well, <laughs> and genre, so nobody re- would read comics if they didn't like genre to begin with. Yeah. But you know. But you know, I, I do pick up I do pick up a fair share of books because I I, I want to follow a female protagonist and. You know, some of them are better than others. Um, you know, I've been reading Chastity. I try. I enjoy. You know, it's a goofy vampire story from the Dynamite line. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do anything for me, but but it's Mark Andreco, and he he writes a good story, that good female driven story. Yeah. Um, you know, and it takes place partially in the eighties, and I like the eighties. Yeah, and you've stuck with fables far longer than I have, which has yeah. a much stronger female core cast. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's just human nature people like to see themselves in their entertainment i think that's why so many people have been pissed so many people like me have been like spider-man with one more day yeah you know if you're a you know, at the time yeah early 40s dude in a long-term mature relationship you get to have that ripped away from spider-man yeah, okay now i can't identify with him as easily same thing with superman after yeah. the new 52 dissolving the marriage with Lois Lane. But at the same time, if every book is for me, you're not going to get new readers. Right. Now, and clearly Batgirl has had some success in doing this, at least on a limited basis. Yeah. You know, is that the answer for what comics publishers need to be doing is ripping up new... And believe me, I, I got a million answers all bullshit off the top of my head, but... <laughs> I think... Well, I mean... In the interest of stimulating a conversation... 
I think as long as the stories that they tell, if they want to go in a, I don't want to say radically different direction, but if they want to go in a different direction, as long as the stories they tell are sound, you will see a boost in numbers and um, a book will take off that you may not necessarily have thought was going to. I think uh, Ms. Marvel is a good example of that. It's kind of a, a sleeper hit. Did you happen to find numbers on sales for that? Uh, <laughs> honestly, I, I didn't look. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's it's not on my polls at this point, but I, I tend to grab it. And it's, I don't I think anybody it. anticipated that that was going to take off and, and do as well as it has been doing. Um, and that's pulling in new readers who are looking to identify with a female protagonist. Um, she's got a Muslim background. It's... <laughs> Yeah, not what you would expect in a comic book. Well, and it's it's one of those things. It, it seems in a lot of ways, like at least the big two comic publishers, for a long time, were loath to make any kind of changes that could appeal to other demographics. I mean, you know, three years ago, as irritating as San Diego Batgirl was. <laughs> You know, at least to people who were actually in those panels who had to sit there. Oh, shit. She's Here we in, go again. <laughs> she's in line again. God damn it. Oh, Jesus. Dan DiDio's in this panel, too. Oh, this is going to be this is going to be a bloodbath. But yeah, looking at it, another thing I did look up, she had a point. You know, the new 52 was coming at that point. Um, of those 52, ti- uh, 52 titles, there were only seven that had female characters as the lead. Mm-hmm. And one of those was Voodoo, where she was oh, a fucking stripper. <laughs> to, to be fair, she started the story as a stripper. She was a covert uh, sleeper agent that was going around killing people. Yeah, well, okay. And uh, another one was Catwoman, where oh, she opened yeah. by dry humping Batman <laughs> on a fucking rooftop. And her goggles looked like her bra. Yeah. Oh, that irritated <laughs> so me awful. so much. When I finally, what was it, Catwoman 3, I picked it up. It's like, all right, maybe it got better. And I'm really looking at the, the Guillaume March cover. And I realized her goggles were bra shaped, and like you put tits on her face, <laughs> you're like, you're Eyes like doctor boy, because it doesn't matter. You're like <laughs> Doctor Moreau with a boner. You're the worst person in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put Doctor Moreau with a boner. That'll get kicked off of iTunes, but that's Probably. that's that's the first potential title of the show. But uh, yeah, and of the rest of them, uh, only five of them featured dudes who weren't white. And one of them was Kevin Coe, who was like in all of 10 pages of OMAC. I loved OMAC. OMAC was awesome. It was just big, stupid, Kirby-ish fun. OMAC versus Superman. Yeah. <laughs> it was just fun stuff there. Um, so, I mean, for good or ill, you know, that public outburst of terrible self-righteousness that was uncomfortable to actually be a part of, that it seemed like it had an effect. Because since then, both DC and Marvel... It seemed to have made a commitments to putting more non-white dudes into those, and yeah, some of them have worked. Captain Marvel's done well. Um, Wonder Woman's got a lot of press, even though it's not working for us. Yeah, you know, the Azarello Wonder Woman. Yeah, there are people. I mean, that's clearly been a, a far more successful book under Azarello than it has been under a lot of other writers. I just found that as they chose to completely uh, reposition the character and take away her origin story that it was less meaningful to me as as a female reader um it because it became it became a, a greek mythology story and frankly it could have been about anybody it didn't have to be about wonder woman there are plenty of sons and daughters of zeus through the years 
that this could have been about. Well, I mean, and with the entirety of the new gods, it didn't even have to be ancient mythology, but yeah. you could have tied it in. You got a point. I mean, for me, it just didn't hook in because I think Brian Azzarello is a hell of a crime writer. Yeah, he wanted to write um, a, a mob story, and he decided to do that through the lens of the the Greek mythology. Yeah, and <laughs> for me, it just didn't it didn't tie together. Yeah. So, but I mean, still, it's it's gotten a reasonable amount of acclaim. It's done well for DC. You know, otherwise, I mean, Catwoman has been since just the new Fifty Two. She was, yeah, trolling for Batcock on roofs, and then she uh, became the reincarnation of Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, yeah. oh, and now God. she's a crime lord of some section of Gotham. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you know, and just Batgirl from just before the new Fifty Two went from Oracle to being obsessed over her physical state and whether or not she killed her brother. And now, yeah, she's, you know, Vapid. she's girl drunk and cackling and the Brooklyn of Gotham. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and yeah, it'd, it'd be easy to complain. Batgirl's not a character that I'm interested in with what they're doing. And the other easy thing is, well, why didn't you just do a completely new character? If you know, you want the tindering Instagramming <laughs> child millennial masses, um, yeah, I mean, it seems to me that they could have written some other character <laughs> in order to do that, but I also got the impression they were looking to take the book itself in a direction that was less um, grim gritty, uh, grim gritty dark. <laughs> grim gritty dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like one word at this point, isn't it? <laughs> it meant so much to us in the 80s. Yeah. But... Um, which is fine, and I, I think it's a, a decent enough direction, because, I mean, ultimately, yeah, that's the first defense, just do it with a new character, but has that ever worked? Do we just create a brand new character, and it catches on and brings people in? Well, I again, mean, Ms. Marvel. <laughs> Ms. Marvel, okay, Ms. Marvel is a new character with the old name and the old yeah not the old suit but almost the old suit but they could have they could have found some excuse for for Barbara to to step away from being Batgirl for a cycle and had somebody else they've certainly had other women be Batgirl well i mean and that's one of the thing i was thinking Batgirl is sort of prime time to do this kind of thing yeah because yeah there've been at least 3 Batgirls four if you count Huntress putting on Cassandra Kane's Batgirl suit in No Man's Land. Yep. Um, and there was some other character. I don't even remember. I wrote it down someplace. Somebody else who like wore a Batgirl t-shirt for a while and said she was Batgirl. <laughs> you was know, it me? It's it's possible. Okay. Um, get on hot topic. I and say it will, was my underwear. We it? will talk later. <laughs> but, um. So yeah, it would be prime time to do it. Yeah, just have Barbara step away. Part of all the screaming from the new 52 on at all these conventions was, Oh, where's Stephanie Brown? Well, shit, there you go. Yeah. Stephanie Brown was never shown as mature and, and utterly driven as Barbara Gordon was. Right. I am far more likely to see her as the sort of character who would be hanging out in Brooklyn, taking selfies. than I would see Barbara Gordon do that. Yeah. It's Barbara Gordon ultimately probably has less of a history. Cause it was, was it the second or third season of the Batman TV show? that 
she was intro- introduced because yeah. it was the it was the Batman TV show she was created for. Right, she was introduced in in the TV show, not in the comics. So yeah, you've got sixty eight to eighty seven. That's when Killing Joke was. Yep. So it's eighteen years. Yeah. You know, and then eighty seven until two thousand eleven. As Oracle. Yeah. So you got a much longer history of other people being Batgirl than Barbara Gordon. Right. Yeah, and and part of why everybody is now saying it's so sacrosanct is because, you know, again, be it good or be it bad, Dan DiDio and particularly I think Jeff Johns, and this is just speculating, but <laughs> thinks the Silver Age and the Bronze Age is where DC should be trapped in fucking amber and just keep doing that, so... That's why we've got Barry Allen again, even though mm-hmm. Barry Allen was never that interesting as the Flash. You know, and Hal Jordan's back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I just don't think that kind of history is there for Batgirl. There's no reason not to say, you know, Barbara Gordon deserves to chill out and enjoy life. Yeah, let her go do it with her alter ego being whatever fake name she gave on Tinder that week. Yeah. <laughs> but. I think there's a case to be made for you as long as you're going to tell a good story, you can reimagine a character and get a sales boost and bring in people who might not otherwise have been reading a book. Uh, I think Journey into Mystery was an excellent example of that in terms of starting Loki over as this young character who um, you know grows up and learns about who he is and makes mistakes. Now, that was... I I like the Asgard stories, but that was such a breath of fresh air after all of the relentless, um, the worthy and the fearless, fear itself, all of that. <laughs> it's, and you know, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's that's a really good example of a complete reimagining of a character that really worked, and it helped that that was Kieran Gillen, yeah. right? It helped that he wrote it really well, and I. I never felt like it was a stunt. I mean, at the time, it really sort of felt like, you know, uh, all right, uh, we've done Fear Itself, and all the Thor stuff is happening over here. And uh, Kieran, here, yeah, fine. We're going to rename it Journey into Mystery, and you're just going to mark time with this for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until we figure out exactly what we're going to do after Fear Itself. And it really felt like he took the ball and said, all right, fuck it, I'll do this. And, and it, it was such a great story. And... um when it ended, I felt just sort of like adrift. I'm like, I, I, I can't believe this is over. What am I going to read now? And the, and the next one with Sif was okay. It was yeah, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't wasn't what I had gotten accustomed to reading for that for that series. But I think it really opened the door for, especially in conjunction with how well Tom Hiddleston did as Loki in the movie being able to take the character and shift it to sort of an anti-hero yeah. um, as opposed to an Iago-like dick, which yeah. is what Loki had been for years. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the only reason anybody outside comics remotely gives a shit about Loki is because of Tom Hiddleston in that movie. Yeah. Um, now I'll say J. Michael Straczynski on his Thor run did some interesting stuff with Loki, you know, making him female and trying to learn how to interface with the world yeah. on that basis but but yeah i mean hiddleston made loki a list where he has not really been a list probably since avengers one yeah <laughs> you know so so yeah i mean that's a good example of taking a character and doing a complete reimagine theoretically you can do that with anybody in comics um 
the tricky part becomes, you know, Loki is only A-list now because of the movie, but he's still a villain and historically has not led his own book. So you get a certain amount of latitude to fuck around with him that way. Well, I think, you know, in in, um, Loki, Agent of Asgard now, um, they're they're taking some, some interesting chances with the character and also trying to pay tribute to the old Loki by having that character present as sort of a nemesis for new Loki. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And yeah, Al Ewing is killing that book. I'm glad to see his name on more and more Marvel stuff because I've really enjoyed his stuff. And yeah, that's a really great title. The tricky part becomes if you do it with the big names. Mm. And Marvel is certainly doing it right now to give him credit, you know, to try to say, okay, here's some stuff that might be interesting to different demographics who aren't radiating heat on a couch waiting for death. Um, like Sam Wilson as Captain Sam America. Sam Wilson as Captain America, uh, the female Thor, who we still don't know who that is. The tricky part with that is, I don't want to call them stunts, but they're mm-hmm. not going to last forever. They probably won't. But on the other hand, you've also got Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel right now, whereas that had traditionally been a male character for years and years and years. Yeah, but you know what? You could get away with that because, again, all right, first of all, Marvel, the real Captain Marvel, has been dead since the death of Captain Marvel graphic novel by yeah. Jim Starlin in 1982. And he's pretty much, he's come back a couple times, but it's been for very short periods of time with very weird circumstances. Because, mm. you know, frankly, I, I have that book and I read it when it came out and I was 11 years old. And it was like, oh, Jesus, this is not what I expected. It was such a hard death with as much dignity as a I'm wasting away from space cancer. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was really a, a book with a wallop. But, you know, since then, there's been at least five, six people with a Captain Marvel name. I mean, so it, it doesn't really, it, you can take a chance and say, fine, it's, it's Carol Danvers. Because what's somebody going to say? Who loves Captain Marvel so much that that's going to be the thing that breaks their back? Nobody's going to write and say, Dear Marvel Comics, uh, I, I was with you when Captain Marvel was Marvel, Monica Rambo, uh, <laughs> Janice, Phyla, and Novar, but Carol Danvers is a bridge too far, my friend. You have earned a powerful fucking enemy today. But there were people that were saying that. <laughs> There's always somebody. Everybody's character is somebody's favorite. True. Yeah, the same way everybody's every individual issue of a comic book is somebody's favorite. Yes, that's true. But when it comes to the publisher taking a risk... You know, it's not like wearing, making Superman wear Wonder Woman underoos and, and walk by schoolyards. It's not that big a deal. Or having Superman walk across America or any other, you know, dumb thing. See, I... Yeah, and really it's the same thing with Ms. Marvel. You can plug somebody into that costume because the only person who gives a shit about Ms. Marvel has been Brian Michael Bendis. Now, Ms. Marvel, she's had th- like three costumes... And at least two or three names. She was Warbird for a while and Binary for a while before that. So, yeah, why not take a chance with Ms. Marvel? It's a known name and property. It's a title that you can put on a book that has some familiarity, but you can take a risk with it. Yeah. That that can be a permanent one if it works out. You know, Marvel's not coming back now. Captain Marvel has done too well. Captain Marvel is getting her own movie. You know, that yeah. that worked. If you do it to Captain America, Avengers 2 is still coming out in May. 
you know there's going to be a book with Steve Rogers on it, and you know there's going to be a book with Thor on the cover. It's just that's just how it's going to work out. I, I don't disagree. So I, I guess, I guess it sounds like the best way for the big two to get people that are new to come in and read something is either to do a stunt, like inserting a different person into a traditional character's shoes such as sam wilson but that'll be temporary or to take a character that is typically b or c list and find an opportunity to elevate them in order to tell a story that might not otherwise be able to be told yeah and and as you were talking I, i hope i didn't seem rude uh, now that we get to make eye contact and look at each other across the table um as i would frantically fuck you pal (laughs) frantically flipping through my phone um i was trying to dig up i did a a review back in 2012 on our site comparing uh wonder woman to the reboot of glory at the time yeah which was was also really good was excellent um not certainly glory is not under the big two imprint um but what I what I enjoyed about Keating's run, uh, Joe Keating, yeah, wrote that with um, <clears throat> Ross Campbell art, and the art just looked really awesome. So they took a chance on an artist with a very distinctive style, and the way that Keating was telling the story gave the opportunity to just let the characters kind of have fun and build each other up. It was Glory's story, but the difference between the dynamic between Glory and her sort of Scooby gang, (laughs) um, it it felt very much like a a Buffy story in a way. Like the characters made each other better. Whereas the Wonder Woman story is just like Wonder Woman constantly going after Zola, who's the damsel in distress, and Zola doesn't get anything out of it other than somebody who's protecting her. Like, (laughs) yeah. and you can do that kind of thing with a pastiche character, which Glory is a pastiche of Wonder Woman. Yeah. So, but what I was thinking as I was trying to pull this up, I'm like, there's no reading, no reason why they couldn't find some way to get some sort of similarly powered character like a Big Barda, and you could very easily tell a very similar story using the New Gods and Apocalypse and creating a storyline along those lines that would allow for some peripheral characters to get some play and not mess with anything in the status quo per se, but give the opportunity to draw some readers in who might not otherwise come in. Yeah. um, And it occurs to me the way you can elevate those B and C list level characters in the public consciousness to a point where they can support their own book. And it's not something we've talked about at all. And it's not something I think that's really happening at either of the big two right now, whereas historically it was, is the team books. Yeah. Avengers was always a place where the B and C level characters could come in and have an impact and get some visibility and, you know, sometimes take off because of it. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel was Avengers. Right. You know, the Hawkeye right now, huge at Marvel, got started in the team book. With Justice League in the 70s, you know, one of DC's attempt to capture that 
Spider-Man lightning in a bottle was Firestorm, which tanked and burned and died in the DC implosion. Yeah. But uh, yeah, his creator, I think it was Jerry Conway off the top of my head, was writing Justice League and started plugging him in there. Mm -hmm. And he got a high enough visibility that he again got his own title, which again, crashed and burned after a while. (laughs) Firestorm never seems to be able to, as much as I like him, never seems to be able to carry his own book. Well, it's a complicated one. Uh, to to tell that story well, you're really telling the story of two or three people. Because you've got the, the two people that end up making Firestorm. <laughs> yeah, well... And, and then Firestorm himself. <laughs> yeah, and, and Firestorm was another and has been used to DC's credit over the last eight or nine years. A- another prime time to open up their demographics you know yeah get rid of professor stein the -hmm. middle-aged dude who now (laughs) would appeal to us and yeah go with jason rush right you know and anybody can be firestorm you know and jesus for the purest fine we'll bring ronnie raymond back are you happy but he's a cock he's a real dick (laughs) but you got him (laughs) we'll make you like jason rush and i liked the the firestorm title when it was out yeah so, and not so much the Furies of Firestorm or whatever the new 52 one was. That's, yeah. I like Gail Simone as a writer, but yeah, the whole, yeah, we've got multiple Firestorms and then they become the Hulk. It's, no, <laughs> Is no. Is it Voltron? <laughs> it, it may have been. I stopped reading after two or three issues, but it's, no, this is a, this is an attempt to do Spider-Man, not not the Hulk. <laughs> what, what the fuck are you doing? Writing down, is it Voltron? <laughs> is it Voltron? But, um, so yeah, and... It, it's a weird period at both Marvel and DC right now in that Avengers is so high profile and Jonathan Hickman has added a, a certain number of yeah, C-list or characters from elsewhere. Um, but it's it's tricky because now it is such a, a large team and everything is so serious, it's hard for anybody to really break out, at least for me. I mean... Captain Universe they brought back as a female character. I don't even think I've seen her in the book for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, and ultimately everything has to, because of the movies, focus on the core characters. Um, DC in the main Justice League book, that's just sort of the, the only new character that's really been added to that is Shazam. Yeah. Shazam's another one. Anybody can be Captain Marvel. It's true. It's Captain Marvel, goddammit. He's not Shazam. I don't give a fuck what Jeff John says. <laughs> So, yeah, I'd say use the team books. You know, that's how there was a stretch where Mr. Miracle in the 80s had his own book again because he blew up because of Justice League International. Yeah, and I I know that they are doing some team books, but it does feel very conservative in their casting choices. Yeah, DC right now between Justice League Europe um, and... Well, it's not even Justice League. Uh, no, it's Justice League Canada. United. Oh. Just started as Justice League Canada, <laughs> became Justice League United. Um, yeah, there's a chance to have a few extra characters in that. I mean, Stargirl's a big part of that. Yep. Uh, Alana from uh, from Ron mm-hmm. has become a big part of it. You know, But none of them have blown up enough yeah. yet to sort of get their own title problem with Stargirl ever getting her own title is there's not a person on earth who's gonna say oh can't we just have Jack Knight again that's <laughs> well that's why you gotta tell the right story <laughs> well yeah that's true uh, that's true of any of them if the stories suck it doesn't matter what demographic you plug in to any book yeah if I the mean, thing sucks is gonna die 
Big Barda and Mr. Miracle were a big part of um, Justice League International for a while. Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason that they couldn't necessarily find their way into one of these. Um, yeah, when's the last time we saw Oberon? <laughs> <laughs> Bring in your little people demographic. I don't know. But my, my point is... <laughs> oh, you're the worst person in the world. <laughs> Sorry. At least you went little people. Um, but, you know, when... Later on today, we're going to be talking about multiversity, and you see Ted Cord as Blue Beetle in that. And I'm sorry, anytime I see Ted Cord and Blue Beetle, I want to see Booster, and I, I want to see. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because multiversity establishes that Blue Beetle, without Booster Gold, total douchebag. Yeah, unbelievable <laughs> cock. Actually, yes. <laughs> um, but there's no reason why you couldn't as they had been kind of trying to do with Booster, you know, put those two back together and give them um, a Scooby group and put some interesting characters in there that would draw on some readers. Well, I mean, you never know with Convergence. Number one, and we talked about this a little bit last week, both of those characters, at least people wearing their costumes, showed up in Justice League 3000. Yeah. Um, which sort of, and we talked about it again a little bit last week, begs the question, is this part of... Does that mean Justice League 3000 is part of the new 52? Does that mean it is a completely different universe and this is just the first time we're trying to figure it out? And who knows? But it, it's possible they could come back. you know, And yeah, put together a team around them of oddballs and misfits and have a little fun with it. That would be nice. You know, even as Warner Brothers has said, for DC movies, no jokes. There will be no jokes. Maybe There's still should... room for it at DC Comics, god damn it. Maybe they should just put spinner racks in a Hot Topic. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I, maybe they do. I just I have never set foot in a Hot Topic. But... Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have no idea. Put it in idea. an alternate venue where it might not otherwise have been sold. I, <laughs> I want to say when I was in my 20s, I went into one with somebody. And yeah, I, I want to say I as they tried on clothes, <laughs> I was reading a Night of the Living Dead graphic novelization. So they might have comics. Okay. Um, I, I have literally never set foot in a Hot Topic. Well, <laughs> the, the I, go I feel better about myself for that. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't like being out in the sun, but still not quite to the goth level. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't look like you need to drink blood in order to orgasm. Or... I, I don't like going outside. It's not an affectation. I just find it. It well, the weather and um, the booze are inside. Yeah, outside <laughs> is where the people are, and I, I can't have that. That's no good. Am I? Yeah, I, my booze is here. Um, the air conditioning is here. <laughs> yeah, so we we will not be investigating hot topic any further than the underoos page. Yeah, to let you know what's going. Hey, if it's a bastion of comics, okay. Hey, more power to you. You're you're one of the rare ones. Uh, you don't have anything else that I need. Yeah. I've it's like looking at a freak show. It's there on the internet. I can... <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know how big a hole I would have to drill into my head to fit some of the accoutrements that you have, the cranial accessories, to quote... Thank you, Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we're hot topic. We're fucking off topic. So... Yeah. Let's get back on topic. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Is there... I, I, it makes a certain amount of sense to me for yeah, take some of these mid-level characters that maybe are eh, they're not setting anything on fire. 
Um, and yeah, rip them up, put new people in the costumes. Because ultimately, that's what sells books. In, in a lot of ways, as much as people bitch, yeah. you know, as, as comic geeks bitch about, oh, you're changing my character. I can't believe you're doing it. You know, my pull list is based on titles. People buy the same titles. People will buy a title and a costume. Yeah. And if the title and costume can change to appeal to more people, obviously you're not going to do that with Batman, you know, or, or Spider-Man, or at least not on a regular basis. Certainly that's been tried with both of them in the last 20 years. Put somebody new in it. Come but, up with some new villains. But yeah, I mean... Come up with some new, well-rounded villains that can tell a story you haven't told before or tell it in a different way. Um, yeah, but a villain is... A villain's not going to sell a comic book. Now At this, this point, Loki can sell a comic book and the Joker can sell a comic book, but what other villains are you going to see on a cover? Harley. Yeah, okay. The Harley certainly has come a long way in the last 25 years. Um, but I think I think you can... Since anti-heroes sell... <laughs> If you can find a way to come up with a new character, um, Hush, for example, <laughs> is the hero of his own story. Uh, and even if he's not working for you, he's popular enough that he gets a lot of traction. Yeah. I, I mean, how we, we saw the young version of Tommy in Gotham what, last week, week before. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and he got his fucking ass handed to him, and that made me happy. It was very satisfying. <laughs> but that's why, he, among other reasons, he's going to grow up to be a very twisted, twisted man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also bring back Jason Todd, which <laughs> I like how Red Hood has turned out, but that first time I saw Jason Todd in Hush, even though that wasn't really Jason Todd, it was just <laughs> sort of a trial balloon to see if Judd Winnick could get away with actually bringing back Jason Todd. <laughs> I paid my $2 on that fucking $900, that 900 number call, you son of a bitch. I paid to kill Jason Todd. Don't do this to me. <laughs> it was a hired hit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, maybe tell a, have a, a Raja Ghoul story, you know, that encompasses a story from his point of view, you know, just for something different. What are you shooting for that immortal billionaire genius criminal demographic? Sure, why not? We're already buying books. It's all covered. <laughs> right to immortal billionaire genius demographic. That's a decent enough title. But I, I, again, I think find some way to either create a new character or raise the profile of a B-list, C-list. Yeah, I mean, the, the creating the new character, that... Let's face reality, that almost never works. I mean, Firestorm, yeah, an attempt to catch that Spider-Man, you know, teenager demographic. Same thing with Speedball. Same Alpha. Say again? Alpha. Uh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was an effort. Um, uh, Nova. As much as I love Nova, the original Nova never set the world on fire. But I mean, doing it again with Nova right now, fine, he's even younger. Yeah, try to give junior high kids... Somebody they can look up to. Yeah. Yeah, so ultimately, for it to have really a, a solid effect, it's got to be a name that people have at least heard of. I think that's the only way it, it works. You know, unless, yeah, create the new ones and stick them in Avengers or Justice League for a while. Yeah, and that gets back to the, the team concept. Yeah. 
there there are characters out there that they they gave just a fleeting chance to and then they went away again you know they under the justice league dark you know tim hunter showed up briefly and i was so excited about that ryan Choi as yeah. adam yeah you know great asian american perfect exactly what you're looking for and lasted uh, what eight ten months yep and then just got killed in an ancillary title although he's coming back for convergence at least for a couple of couple of months yeah i think the characters are out there it's just a question of editorial being broad-minded enough to let some of their more talented writers just take some chances with them yeah so all right (laughs) all right you want to move on you want to talk more convergence since there's still how are we doing on time it is 56 minutes. Okay. Well, you want to do convergence relatively quickly. Well, let's do it. Because, yeah, there's still still nothing concrete out about Secret Wars, so we will just keep talking about convergence since at least we're finding out what books are coming out. And DC this week uh, announced the second week of the two-issue miniseries that they're doing. So the, the date of all these first issues, uh, if I took it down right, should be April 15th. Okay. Because, yeah, as we're all crippled by the IRS, we're just going <laughs> to run right into the comic store and just fritter away all our dough. Um, all right, so you want to do, like, last week, just go through them? Yeah, let's go through you know, them. Who's doing them? The description? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Batman, Shadow of the Bat, uh, written by Larry Hama. Uh, artist is Philip Tan and Jason Paz. Um, uh, we got Azrael Batman back kids. <laughs> God help us. Oh, Amanda just closed her eyes and went, oh. Yeah. <laughs> what what demographic is that going to bring in? Um, I don't know. People who, who love young Joe Quesada because he created the, the look. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Asbats was designed by Joe Quesada. Asbats? That's, Asbats? Ass chaps? What? <laughs> It's a whole different costume. <laughs> and kind of underoos. Not really. But no, it's a, the Azrael Batman was designed by Joe Quesada. Yes. And then they put him in charge of Marvel Comics. <laughs> I mean, and it worked. He yeah. did a really good job. But on paper, that's like putting George Lucas in charge of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> fuck one property right in every hole you can find. Why not give him the keys to another property? Fistful of lube. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, Batman Shadow of the Bat. Um, yeah, I'm writing down yeah. Fistful of Lube. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the pen go, and I'm like, yeah, we might be able to get away with that. But All right, so a year ago, Batman got trapped in Metropolis when hunting down Azrael. Now he must team with the man that replaced him and see... All right, I copied and pasted this, so this is not my grammatical problem. Now he must team with the man that replaced him and see how differently they operate as Batman's. Batmans. Yeah, not Batman. Batmans. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I have no particular, not even no particular, I have no love for the Azrael Batman. Um, Wasn't he all angsty and clenchy? Yeah, well, look, he, he served a purpose at the time because uh, that whole storyline was 90, somewhere between 92 and 94. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was right on the heels of Superman's death, so it... it 
for me, it's it sort of had that feeling of, all right, you're just doing that again. But it, it did serve an actual purpose. And at some point, I should go back and reread the whole he thing. Went, he covered like Gotham as a Bat-type character while Batman was recovering from the broken back, right? No, he was flat-out Batman. He was flat-out Batman. He had, a, he had a different costume. Okay. But it was an attempt to address, you know, at the end of the 80s with, you know, Grim Gritty Dark. <laughs> we're going to do it as one word. Um Gonna take a deep breath before you say it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and and not have two beers like I've had. But um, there were a lot of people, you know, Punisher fans, you know, Wolverine fans, saying, "Well, Batman should just kill the criminals. It doesn't make sense that he would do this." And because we like, you know, hardcore superheroes, and so it was an attempt to say, "Fine, we'll give that to you." See, doesn't it fucking suck? I mean, yeah. Which is the problem? It's for those of us who've been reading Batman since they were five years old back in the seventies. No, I, I never wanted that. So it, I kind of tuned out of it. I, I read a bunch of it at the time, mm-hmm. um, and at some point I should go back and and reread it now that it's absolutely clear that it was no. This was us trying to address that and show that it wouldn't work for Batman. Uh, that said, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll pick this up. Mm-hmm. But look, Larry Hama is best known for GI Joe. Okay. Um, at least that's what I know him best for, and yeah. I never really read that comic. It's one of those things that I, I never. I had the GI Joe toys. Hmm. I never read the comic, and I never watched the cartoon because I was old enough when those were popular. I was like ten, eleven. I was old enough where I could come up with my own stories if I wanted to play with these. So yeah. as far as I was concerned, it was great. This is a bunch of military toys with interchangeable dudes nearly in superhero costumes and a bunch of just drones in blue that I can blow up and I'll just come up with my own stories with them. So I don't really have a big background with Larry Hama and I'm not sure. Yeah. I know he wrote Batman for a while. I can't remember a single story out of that. So... Uh, I don't know. This is just sort of a weird one. I, I don't care about Azrael as Batman, and I'm not sure Larry Hamm is a guy I want to see write Batman. I can't say he'd do a bad job at it. Really, I'm coming to this one with sort of, eh, all right. I guess it'll be a question of reading the issue. I mean, we ran into this last week with, you know, why is this person writing this? I don't know. Maybe they had the best pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we'll run into that again because there's other ones here where it's like, no, this guy's doing this. Why is it? Why? Yeah. So, all right. So we go to the Superman Man of Steel, uh, written by Louise Simonson, okay. uh, artist June Brigman and Roy Richardson. Uh, Metropolis was taken, uh, I imagine, by Brainiac when <laughs> Superman was missing. So it's up to Steel to guard the city from the heroes of Gen 13 in his absence. So Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Steel. <laughs> Guarding the city from the heroes of Gen 13. Okay. So basically we have the fifth most popular super team of Wildstorm um, battling the third most popular Superman. Superman knockoff. Yay, they're not dead? I've seen some pretty shitty situations <laughs> in my life, but nothing has ever sucked more ass than this. <laughs> Friggin' tool. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't... I just that was the one sound effect I hadn't played, and it seemed like the right place for it. Um, <laughs> it was. Yeah, look, at, at least it's Louise Simonson who has some history writing 
Steel. Right. Steel's yes. another one I just don't, yeah, I just don't care very much about the character. I mean, for me, the best he's ever been portrayed was in Grant Morrison's JLA. And if I remember right, Morrison was pretty vocal about only including him to cover the armored hero archetype that Tony Stark filled in The Avengers. Okay. So. And there's a point that the character can be used that way. I, I, I find it interesting that that's the second one on the list, given how you've described Azriel in relation to Batman and all of that occurring shortly after the death of Superman, because that was Steel's function was to try to fill a hole in Metropolis after the death of Superman. That's true. So there may be a recurring theme here that just the limited amount of information that we have in the solicits aren't showing. Yeah. So, all right. I'm willing to give it a benefit. I'm willing to give all of these a benefit of the doubt because at least something different, even if it's just for a month or two. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, any of them are worth trying. Right. Yeah. This is just one at face value. I don't care about Gen 13 and I never particularly cared about Steel either. So, yeah. um, all right. So next one, Supergirl Matrix, uh, written by Keith Giffen. Oh, so uh, he's not dead. Yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Our uh, artist is Ramon Bach. Okay. Um, yeah, here's the description. What does Supergirl, Lady Quark, and Ambush Bug have in common? Well, nothing really, but that didn't stop us from sticking them together in a story. You're welcome. You said two words there that are going to make me want to read this book. Yes, indeed. Ambush Bug. Yeah, and, and two more words. <laughs> Keith Giffen yeah. and Ambush Bug. So, Four words. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I stopped and thought about this one because that was my first instinct. Like, uh, I don't give a shit about the rest of it, but you know, yeah, Ambush Bug. But I stopped and I really thought about it. So we've got Matrix, who was the original post-crisis Supergirl. She was a ginned-up way to get Supergirl back into the DC universe. Yeah. Or a form of Supergirl uh, after Crisis. Yeah, Lady Quark, who was a pivotal character in Crisis right, on Infinite right, Earths. Yeah. An ambush bug who's always been operating in sort of weird, quasi-out-of-continuity, yeah. understanding he's in a comic book kind of ways. So... This is pure speculation, but if there is a plan to continue what happens in Convergence beyond these miniseries, this might be the place to be looking yeah. to see what they have yeah. in mind. If you're going to pick up any book from this series, this is the one that I would say. I could be totally overthinking it. It could just be Keith Giffen saying, you know, I got a two-issue miniseries to do whatever the fuck I want as long as there's Supergirl in it. Fine. Yeah. But in which case, it'll just be a blast to fucking read. But... God bless your little heart, sir. But yeah, you the, write this. <laughs> but yeah, all these characters that have operated as ways to get around things, this might be the place where where some of that comes out. Yeah. So, <laughs> of course, that brings me to the next one. I'll need a sip of beer for this because it comes down to why this person again? And? Mm, cheap lager. <laughs> Justice League International, uh -huh. uh, written by Ron Mars. Uh, artist Mike Manley. Um, the levity of the JLI team collides with the severity of the world of Kingdom Come. Okay. Now, you got Keith Giffen. <laughs> um, Go on. I mean, you got Keith Giffen. Not sure what J.M. DeMatteis is doing. Uh, I don't believe... Uh, I don't believe that Kevin Maguire has been doing anything since he was knocked off of Justice League 3000. 
Um, but you're going to give this to the guy who wrote Voodoo. Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> um, and it, this is definitely the, yeah, it said right in the levity of the JLI team. Um, but yeah, the art in it, uh, the DC release to sort of hype this show is Fire and Ice and Ted Cord's Blue Beetle. So this is definitely the post-crisis yeah. JLI. Yeah, I mean, just get the right people do it right for a couple issues. That's <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and the other weird thing is, yeah, that team going against the Kingdom Come team. It's this could work. <laughs> yeah, and but then again, whenever I hear Kingdom Come, I think you know Alex Ross art. So. Well, yeah, but they just look weird. But yeah, there was the Kingdom follow up that Ross only did the covers for, and uh, you know, the at least Kingdom Come Superman showed up in JSA, and again Ross did the covers, but somebody else did the interior art. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, the early issues of Justice League before it was Justice League International, mm. uh, right after Crisis, it had some relatively dark villains you know the the whole reputation for Bwahaha really came because there was a lot of humor in that those first 12 issues compared to other comic books it was still good solid adventure stories in there i, I think it became Bwahaha to a much greater extent and people got a little sick of it over time yeah but the early issues of it show that you can do a straight story with these characters and frankly the couple of mini series that the original creative team did in the 2000s. I'm particularly Super thinking... Buddies. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm particularly thinking I can't believe it's not the Justice League. That scene where Guy is leading Ice out of hell oh, that... and he can't help but turn around and when he does, he condemns her back to hell and goes to pieces. Oh, I teared up. <laughs> yeah. You can do very serious stories with these characters if you want to. Yeah, that story, so this... that story damn near broke me. Yeah, so... <laughs> this could work those two teams but at the same time i'd feel a lot better about it working if <laughs> you put kevin and Deviteus and mcguire on it please but, all right um a few more here uh catwoman uh written by justin gray okay um artist ron randall a uh, year under the dome can change anyone even catwoman <laughs> She set aside her life of crime to become the protector of suicide slum, but when the dome falls, she will face her greatest challenge, Kingdom Come Batman. Huh. Um, I'm not sure what to think about this one. Uh, I really liked Ed Brubaker's Catwoman with Darwin Cook. Yeah. Um, I think we've got almost that entire run, even as those creators moved off of it. Pretty sure, yeah. Um, when it comes to just Catwoman as a character, certainly we're not buying the new one. <laughs> Although we should give it a new shot now that it's on its third iteration of this is what Catwoman is in the new 52. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, the Catwoman series previous to Brubaker's, I never really read it, so I don't have... And, and based on the art, that is the incarnation of Catwoman that we're getting. The okay. the late 90s, uh, the, the 90s version. What was that Devin Grayson? Uh, maybe. Like I said, I never really picked that up because Catwoman just as a marquee character that guarantees I buy the book, she's not one. Yeah. You know, I'd be interested in seeing how that one plays out just because, you know, Kingdom Come Batman. Um, yeah. It's... And I, I trust Justin Gray in terms of his vision for um, Bat Family characters based on... Oh, yeah. Look, 
Palmiotti and Gray's name on a book, I, I definitely try it. So yeah. yeah, Justin Gray gets the benefit of the doubt from me. Yeah. Um, I'll try it based on that. Right. But yeah, just Catwoman, the particular this particular Catwoman. Uh, all right, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Hey. <laughs> um, this one I thought was interesting. Um, not necessarily based on the the creative team, but maybe. Um, Superboy. Uh-huh. Uh, writer Fabian, and I always screw his name up. Fabian Nicenza. Okay. Yeah. Um, artist Carl Moline and okay. uh, Jose Marzen Jr. Um, has Con L earned the right to be the Man of Steel? Con will have to prove his mettle in battle against the Superman of Kingdom Come, but what if the only way to save Metropolis is to lose the fight? Now, first of all, this is not Connor Kent from Jeff Johns' Justice League. This is Con L, the clone boy. Yep. Shitty round shades. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Animal Man leather jacket. <laughs> um, douche Superboy. Basically, yeah. Super young, Just- young Justice Superboy is a douche. <laughs> he was meant to be a douche, but that does not mean that I can ignore his douchitude, douchosity. Um, <laughs> Next, from DC, douchosity. <laughs> goddamn, write it down, but goddamn, I <laughs> will never be able to use that as a title. Um, with that said, the whole thing about Superman and Kingdom Come was he came out of retirement to fight teen superheroes who didn't share the JLA's sense of justice and responsibility. Yeah. Which Superboy as Connell the douche boy <laughs> that seems like potentially a good tense matchup. Yeah. Um there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Now that said Fabian Nicenza, I know I'm mispronouncing that. I'll never pronounce it right. But the the dude, he didn't just come up in the 90s. He's almost stereotypically 90s. He co-created Deadpool with Rob Liefeld, for Christ's sake. <laughs> he worked on Jim Lee's X-Men. I'm, uh, so he's going to have... It- He's probably going to have a good handle on on how that character is going to behave. If if he can understand the the sense of dissatisfaction that a lot of people had with superhero comics in the 90s. And I've said many times on this show for a lot of the 90s, most of what I was reading was Vertigo because yeah, yeah those books did not do nearly enough for me to spend a ton of money on them. Yeah, you know, in my 20s where I didn't have a lot of money to begin with. Right. So if he can get why people were dissatisfied with characters like that and come up with that understanding and that relationship, this could be a home run. Yeah. Plot-wise, this is one of the more interesting ones for me. So I'll definitely pick this one up. I find it interesting that they are doing they seem to be doing a lot with the Kingdom Come characters. Well, every week it feels like they're focusing on different major eras, because last week yeah. it was all Flashpoint. That's a good point. All right. So this week it seems like mostly Kingdom Come. The next week could be, you know, Silver Age, Red yeah. Kryptonite Superman <laughs> Beasts. and Mixelplick. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, 1966 Batman. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, Wendy and Marvin. <laughs> Please don't bring Wendy and Marvin back. <laughs> Even I knew they were stupid and I was five. <laughs> we just hang out with the Justice League, really. Do you? Is that what you do? <laughs> you kids have parents and shit to do. Uh... <laughs> All right. 
So next one. Uh, this yeah. <laughs> uh, Aquaman. Okay. Uh, Breed Jeff Johns Aquaman. So he will have one hand? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, written by Tony Bedard, uh, art by Cliff Richards. Uh, trapped in the Dome City, Aquaman struggles with the loss of his hand okay. as he confronts a deadly adversary death blow. Well, I think uh, Swiffer would have you believe that if you order their products, um, if you have one hand, you should be fine. So you want Aquaman to kill Deathblow with a Swiffer? I would read that. Wouldn't you read that? That would, would be the that. that would be the best. <laughs> that'd be the best clue answer ever. Aquaman, Aquaman in the dome with a Swiffer. With a Swiffer, yeah. <laughs> I'm writing that down. All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, based on the art that was there, yeah, clearly Aquaman is moping about his hand, and it's the pre-New Fifty Two sucky Aquaman that nobody really cared about uh, up against basically what amounts to Deathblow's a third-rate Wildstorm. Punisher knockoff. Yes. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll try anything once. Uh, this is not going to be... This will... I'll probably buy it and, uh, you know, Tuesday evening if I'm in the toilet. <laughs> I, I may get to that one. But, you know, as a wise man once said to me, they can't all be Picassos. No. I might be pleasantly surprised, but... Uh, Swiffer. Yeah. Um. Oh, Jesus! A couple more. How are we doing on time? Uh, one sixteen. Okay. Uh, there's a few more. We'll try to do them quick. Uh, Suicide Squad, uh, written by Frank Thierry. Okay. Uh, artist Tom Mandrake. When Kingdom Comes, floating fortress of New Oa, uh, threatens Metropolis. It's up to Amanda Waller to put together a team of the city's deadliest villains to stop it. Uh, the promo art on this didn't show any faces. So we don't know who hmm. Waller has access to in Metropolis. Okay. There was a dude with blonde hair in shadows, another guy with dark hair in shadows, and some other guy with dark hair in shadows and clearly access to steroids because he looked like <laughs> the size of a house. So Bane. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're saying in Metropolis. Yeah. So what Metropolis villains could she have access to? I don't know. Who are awesome. <laughs> I mean, Luther. Yeah. But... Luther doesn't have dark or blonde hair, so... Or hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Mixaplick. <laughs> the prankster. Actually, I'd like to see a, a Waller versus Mixaplick. I, I would read that. Yeah, all right. That could be interesting. <laughs> so I mean, there's potential here. I like Frank Thierry. You know, he's shown in a few books where if you give him a ridiculous premise, he'll swing for the fences and sometimes yeah. hit it. Um, I'm just not sure... I don't think I've ever seen a Suicide Squad without Deadshot. Not sure I ever want to. Well, they're saying Metropolis is most deadly villains, but if this is some alternate Metropolis, then some ones that might otherwise have been in other cities might be in this Metropolis. Yeah, that's true. Everything's just a flight away. Yeah, you can populate with whoever the hell you have to. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, Yeah, this is another one. I'm not sure why they picked who they picked to do it. Uh, Green Lantern Parallax. Uh, written by Tony Bedard, artist Ron Wagner, and Bill Reinhold. Um, rookie gr uh, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner gears up to battle invaders, but is he ready to fight Hal Jordan, also known as Parallax? Didn't we already read this story when it actually happened? We did, um, but it's also you—you you got Ron Mars. Yeah. You know why? <laughs> why is he doing JLI and not fucking Green Lantern, where he was the main writer on the thing? You know. It's like it's like they went to their writer's summit and decided to play musical chairs. And when they sat down after they stopped playing, like the monkey goes around the whatever. <laughs> um. Musical chairs for characters. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, and who am I sitting on? 
JLI. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so so Bedard, he, he got one slam dunk with Green Lantern, and he got Aquaman. Shit. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the thing is, I do have a soft spot for, for Kyle. Yeah. I always like Kyle as Green Lantern. Kyle's um, great. And I, I also have a soft spot for the, the flawed, post-crisis, deeply flawed Hal Jordan. So this one I'll... I'll give a shot. I think I, I feel more nostalgia for the gray templed was kind of fucked right out of the gate and Hal Jordan than a lot of people do. So yeah, some of these pitches are great. It's just a question of why did they choose to assign as they did? Yeah, but we'll see. All right. Last one. Green arrow uh, written by Christy Marks, uh, artist rags Morales and Claude St. Aubin. Okay. Uh, Oliver Queen meets Connor Hawk for the first time, but is he ready to hand over the Green Arrow mantle to his son? Hmm. This is the only one that I feel like is a huge missed opportunity, and I'm not sure there's anything they could do about it. Um, I would love to see the Mike Grell just post Long Ho Bun- Long Ho Bunters, Long Ho Bunters. <laughs> Write that Next, down. Next on DIY. Uh, Long Ho Bunters, <laughs> Long Bow Hunters, um, Green Lantern again. Um, there may not have been anything they could do about this. Mike Grell, uh, he's actually sick right now. Uh, ah. He's recovering from cellulitis in his leg. Um, and, yeah, it really sucks because I, I would kill to see that that version of the character again. You know, just working in Seattle, starkly realistic, again, flawed, not using trick arrows. Bunting hose. Bunting hose. Ali <laughs> <laughs> Queen has much love for bunting hose. <laughs> But with that said, I like Rags Morales' art. He did a really good Green Lantern in Identity Crisis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. it's uh, I'll check this out for, for the art alone, but yeah, I feel it's not necessarily a missed opportunity, but it's if there's one of these where it's been like, no, that's not the version I wanted to see, this is the one. Okay. So that's it. And next week, we'll probably have uh, week threes. But, uh, you know, unless we start hearing finally something concrete about Secret Wars. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're, how are we doing on time? I got to start running a stopwatch on this with this new setup because... 121. Know. Okay. All right. Want to talk a, a couple of comics? Let's talk about a couple of comics. Which one do you want to do first? Cause Can we th- cover Multiversity in nine minutes? Or um, within nine minutes? <laughs> I think we can. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's all right. My throat's not scratchy yet, and I have one unopened beer, so if we go a little <laughs> over, I don't mind. I don't mind um, either. Where am I going to go? <laughs> exactly. Um, so which one, in that case, which one do you want to do first? Since we've been talking DC, why don't we start with the DC book? Okay. Um, yeah, so Multiversity. This is, I think, the third issue of Multiversity. Uh, Pax Americana. Number one. Yes, yeah, so they're all number ones because yes. they just do different pieces of multiversity. But um, written by Grant Morrison, art by Frank Quitely. Um, this is the one that was Watchmen, basically. So as yeah. somebody who is a huge fan of Watchmen, has had Watchmen in a variety of different formats, as someone who defends the movie as being generally pretty good, um, th- this is one I had to look at because basically the the elevator pitch is Alan Moore's original elevator pitch. Let's do an adult story with the Charlton heroes. Right. Except now let's do an adult story with the Charlton heroes as 
the Watchmen characters, basically. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my first note is Grant Morrison is a fucking asshole. <laughs> What's well, I read this probably four times before I feel like I got it. Like I understood. And the, like not, it's like oh, I get what's going on in Grant Morrison's head. What's going on in Grant Morrison's head is mescaline, or maybe psilocybin mushrooms. That's not the point. Before I understood even what the story was about. Yeah. Um. Uh, literally, how many times did you read it? I feel like I read it maybe three. I had I, the second time. I had to kind of put it down and walk away for a while. That's when you came and found me just sort of gesticulating at it and making weird noises. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Grant Morrison will be so happy. (laughs) If you're speaking in tongues and frothing at the mouth, that'd be the only thing to make him happier. But I, I read it and I went back. I read it, I think three times, but I think within that there were, I went back a number of times, like that first sequence where, it's being told in reverse. Um, and yeah. so I get a sense of, I'm pretty sure this is being told in reverse. Oh, okay, it's being told in reverse. And then, you know, in the middle of the story where there's a sequence of linear panels that tell three separate storylines, Yeah, I went through and I read it all at once. Um, and then I went back and I read it and read just each panel in sequence. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I actually tried reading it up and down just to see if I'd get anything different out of it, and that just made my head hurt. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. By the way, we're gonna spoil the living shit out of this. We we just are because there's no other way to address it because there's there's a ton of weird experimental shit going on in this book. Yeah, and yeah, that two page sequence. One of the the things I did like, and let's cut to the chase. Once I got it, I'm I'm generally okay. I like what he did with it. Yeah, I, um, I actually wasn't actively angry for once with um, a, a recent Grant Morrison book. So yeah, we'll <laughs> cut to that chase. But <laughs> but yeah, this is difficult to read. And that yeah, that two page sequence with three things going on. One of the cool things I liked was immediately after that, cut to the scene of Captain Adam and the particle accelerator reading a comic book. Yeah, and the first panel is I I saw a Higgs boson. <laughs> operating in eighth dimensional space on pages 11 12 of this book and those were pages 11 and 12 of multiple <laughs> things going on at once and trying yeah. to so it's the book is packed with cool shit like that um that can be difficult to pay off but yeah realistically the only way to read this book is from the back to the front there's a couple of a couple of things that do happen out of that sequence which kind of needed to be there to to show some of the stuff that is going on ancillary there's there's stories that are taking place at various points in time um and yet concurrently and that that's the point they're trying to make and that that's the key to that is reading that captain adam sequence where he basically explains it well that's the thing there were clues all over this thing that you had to read it out of sequence yeah um I mean, it's it's filled with books that you really should go back to front. Um, that opening assassination scene, which is literally backwards. Yeah. You know, each panel is further back in time. Um, I mean, a couple of the, the first 
pieces of dialogue in the book are backwards, forwards. Right. Um, and there's a sequence where um, Evie, who is Nightshade, um, is talking to her father, who is the vice president who has recently ascended to the presidency, where they tell the story um, and it goes across the panel from left to right, but then down from the right and then back right to left and then down sort of like a reverse um, serpentine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the dialogue in that sequence, I wrote some of them down. Everything goes into reverse. You go back on everything. Reflection is the mother of compromise. Old fashioned politics will turn this country around. You know, you mean a retreat into the, a ton of clues. Yeah. So it's not like, and Morrison sometimes does this. He just drops you in and says, you'll figure it out. He basically tells you if the clues are there. Yeah. The problem is a lot of those, because of that, I pissed away a lot of time. You know, the the, the sequence of, a, a, what was the president's name? Harley. Yeah. Um, and Captain Adam going over the bridge where, yeah, and it's a curved arch bridge. And the next sequence of panels is the reflection of what's going on there. I tried reading that in a circle and backwards. <laughs> I probably spent 10 minutes on that page before going, yeah, no, I'm just being fucked around with here. Um, and and as a Watchmen fan, this thing is lousy with Watchmen references. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right out of the gate. Just like every issue of the Watchmen comic book, the cover is the first panel of the story. Yeah. So if you go from the cover to the next, it's a progression yep um opens up with a murder and a blood stain creeping across a round logo uh beetle referred to question as a black or white guy which yeah. basically is rorschach um the question makes rorschach style noises i think he even went herm once he did he did um, <laughs> the, the, the scenes of nightshade with her mother chain smoking with teleportations yeah. All kinds of Alan Moore style transitions, you know, where the question says the hunchback becomes the soldier and it goes straight to Captain Adam, the soldier. Right. Um, yeah, that sequence with, uh, uh, who is it? Sarge Steele with the, uh, the big bang comes at the end mm -hmm. where you're looking at the barrel of the gun and goes straight to boom. Nightshade saying boom and it's a picture of a black circle. Yeah. Um, Harley saying in comic books we trust to the terrorist saying this is not a comic book. <laughs> so it's, you know, a lot of 16 panel grids that were reminiscent of Dave Gibbons nine panel grids in Watchmen. Yeah. So there's a ton of references there for Watchmen fans to really fall right into. Um Yeah, but yeah, that said to work out what the actual story was. I I literally had, I sat in front of my computer and went back to front and took notes and tried to okay, this is what's the the biggest thing I had a problem with was figuring out what Peacemaker and uh, Nora. Nora were trying to figure out. And that was the key to say, okay, now I finally got it. And once I figured that out and worked all the way to the back, yeah, that last panel with Nightshade with her fists clenched and her father saying, you know, will you take a leap of faith? Since Nightshade had, you know, question threw cards at her who knows what was written on them which fits with rorschach's journal mm -hmm. where you know you don't know what nightshade might have read and might understand well we know that at least one of the cards had the figure eight on it yeah and 
the figure eight is supposed to be analogous to this uh, algorithm eight thing that President Harley claims he has figured out. Yeah. Nobody knows what it is. Um, Peacemaker and Nora, Nora goes undercover to try to figure out what this is. We don't know in what capacity she's done this. <laughs> True. Um, we know that that is going to lead to her death. Yeah. We know that President Harley has become fixated on comic books um, and feels that he's going to be able to accomplish something that is going to usher in a new era of, of prosperity and awesomeness for the American people because of comic books and because of his discovery of the powers of um, Adam Allen or Alan Adam. <laughs> uh, Captain Adam is fine. <laughs> basically, yeah, who's drawn to look like Dr. Manhattan. Um, yeah. And, and his abilities to manipulate all dimensions, um, which, again, in his leap of faith, it, uh, he stages his own assassination, presumably for the purpose of Captain Adam bringing him back to life. Oh, absolutely. Um, however, the vice president is very much against this, seems to have set Sergeant Steele in motion to waste a bunch of scientists who have sent or opened a black hole using Captain Adam's mind so he is unable to come back and perform this miracle. Well, it's a, uh, I took it as they flat out at least tried to murder Captain Adam. Yeah. It wasn't they tried to open it with his mind. They tried to open it in his head. Yeah. So. They, they, they said he left the universe at insert date and time here. Yeah. <laughs> also reminiscent of at least attempting the intrinsic field subtractor. Yeah. Uh, on Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen. And, um, and again, with pastiches and references, yeah, my first instinct seeing that scene was, okay, is he going to come back? Mm -hmm. um, although I think Morrison did a pretty decent job in saying, no, that's, yeah, it, Nora's, I figured it out, I see what happens. Yeah. You know, she knows he's not coming back. That's so, how I took it anyway. Yeah. So now Peacemaker is in a precarious place because there's nobody that's going to bail him out for the murder of the president. But he doesn't know. <laughs> but that's he doesn't a cool know. Thing. Right. He doesn't know. Um, and that somehow, for whatever reason, uh, the thing that had set President Harley on the path to this is because it turns out his father was one of the very first vigilantes, but also a comic book writer. Yeah. And he accidentally killed his father. Well, and the other interesting thing to me was he finally moves on his path when Captain Adam goes into the past and basically shows him. Yeah. So I mean, the whole thing is self-contained and self-referential. It's it's a it's a Mobius strip. It's exactly the kind of mind fuck. Well, yeah, Mobius strip. The whole infinity symbol is yeah. the key to this. So is is a major symbol in this book. So it's exactly the kind of self-referential mind fuck that. <laughs> Makes Grant Morrison just mash his zipper and <laughs> just smile as he eats another button of peyote or whatever it is he does. Yeah. Um, you know, does this, should this be in the same breath as Watchmen? No, it's a solid comic book. Yeah. Um, any comic book that can get you to sit there and think and try and figure out how to read it and still have a good enough story where at the end of that confusion, frankly, you feel like, yeah, okay, that was worth my it time. It was worth my time, yeah. Um, 
that said, I'm not sure how many people are going to do that. Morrison fans certainly will. I think Watchmen fans who are sort of used to the ideas of symmetry and stuff that was laid down from that, who are being pulled along in the story by seeing, okay, question is clearly Rorschach, and these characters are the Watchmen characters that... Well, I feel like this story, you know, they spent all this time on before Watchmen. You know, Morrison was going to tell this story for a very long time. Multiversity has been, like, in in the the shoot and ready to go for some time. This was a far more worthwhile use of my reading time than before Watchmen. What is this before Watchmen you're speaking of? I don't recall. <laughs> I think we keep it in the house next to Godfather 3. I've never heard of Godfather... What? <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Before Watchmen had one or two decent books come out of it. Yeah. Ultimately, it was completely unnecessary. This, by not being Watchmen, but by referencing it with the characters that Watchmen was referencing, I think is far more a worthy endeavor. Yeah. And it's only like 30-something pages. Right. Yeah, and, and we're out. Yeah. So, yeah, I was I was fine with it. I, I think there are going to be... Potentially plenty of readers, although I'd imagine readers who are likely to try and read something from Morrison and get utterly frustrated and say this wasn't worth it, have already checked out over the last couple of issues. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I, I was very frustrated with Multiversity when I read the first issue, and we, we reviewed that on this show around the same time that we did the premiere of uh, Season 8 for Doctor Who. Right. So, I... Morrison always runs into the danger of being a little too clever for um, some, a little too hip for the room. <laughs> yeah, it, that was one where Pixie Sticks, who is by no means uh, a light reader, yeah, yeah, just said nope, no. <laughs> so yeah, and and I, who have read a fair amount of Grant Morrison, I, I also was just like mm, no, <laughs> but. At the same time, this particular book, and maybe it is because he keeps it a little tighter, and it's everything is focused to that theme of backwards, forwards, and and how we perceive time and reality, without getting into weird like what does music taste like kind of, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, kind of divergent thoughts um. uh, i've known some struggling musicians it tastes like thin gruel and ramen noodles <laughs> but you know you see my point yes yes i do um i i felt i was able to to get through it and come out of it having having better feeling better about myself because i felt like it was it was something i could apply my brain to and analyze and and not in like a way that w where I struggled with the story, but more that I was able to get some understanding and some layers out of it. Yeah. It, honestly, the biggest downside of this book to me was uh, Grayson Future's End by Tim Seeley mm. did a very similar conceit extremely effectively right. just a couple That's of months right, ago. Yeah. So once I sort of caught the, okay, you got to read it backwards. Okay. Whereas with, with the Grayson story, it was much more of a surprise you know, as I'm going through it. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what's it. But then when I saw the clue, with well, that when the clue was at the end mm -hmm. where it tied back to the rope, I'm like, okay, now I got to read this again backwards. And yeah, that was delightful in its own way. Yeah. Whereas this one, it was he gave all the clues. And once I figured it out, it's still very satisfying to go through. I think it would have been a little more effective if 
Seeley hadn't done just about the same thing a couple of months ago. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, look, you, you've been warned from this, if not utterly spoiled on it. Um, yeah, tackle it back to front and really pay attention. And there's a lot of good stuff in this, and it's well worth the, what is it, five bucks? Yeah. Um, you know, if if you're just looking for a light read on the turlet, eh, maybe go with our next book. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Verse number two. Yeah. So we ready to move on to that? Yeah. Okay. So, yep. Spider-Verse number two, uh, written by Dan Slott, uh, art by Olivier Coipel, uh, another name I'm certain I'm butchering. But so, uh, yeah, we're, we're back to Spider-Ock. Yeah. Doc Perman. Doc. I, I enjoyed this book slightly less than the first book. <laughs> yeah. Um, Something about Doc Ock Spider. I just start to go, uh-uh. Well, I mean, <laughs> this this issue feels like more groundwork is being laid. Yeah. Um, it's still putting everybody in the right places. The action that's here, certainly it has a stake with, uh, again, spoilers, you know, the, the murder of Old Man Spider. Yep. Um, and that reveal of who that actually was. But at the same time, it feels very much like, you know, the little car chases you get in action movies yeah, just to okay, we'll keep you interested so we can blow shit up real good in Act Three. Yeah, um, you know, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it's still like it felt like bringing everybody together and just moving stuff around. So it's I don't want to say it was a placeholder issue, but it wasn't exactly. Yeah, they they did a lot more with oh, let's expand on our our universe of totems. Now we've got in addition to Peter being the chosen one, we've got. Silk and her her pheromone issues is the bride, and unless she's like strapped to a table and getting electricity like channeled through her, I <laughs> wait slow down. <laughs> Say it slower and sexy. And then there's the other. <laughs> she can't even fucking look at me right now. <laughs> well, you know, I vacillated for a second, but I, I we're we're coming to the end of the show, and I didn't really know how much real estate you wanted me to give to. Well, first they put the manacle around her wrist, and then. <laughs> I'm done, actually. No, you can go on. Just give me a second to catch my breath. Anyway. Um, and then they they spent so much time with, you know, Doc Ock being all superior again, where I was, I, I didn't need him to come back. Um. Yeah, I mean, I thought the superior Spider-Man was a pretty generally solid storyline, and it was done. Yeah. Um, well, that's just it. Most importantly, it was done. Yeah. I mean, Doc Ock was going to come back one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. If if this is the vehicle by which we get Dr. Octopus again, I'm fine with it. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, Superior Spider-Man, not that hugely multidimensional a character that I need continued examination of him. Yeah. Um, there's enough in this issue indicating we're going to get, at least in some issue, a Doc Ock Spider-Man beatdown yeah. that I've been waiting for since about Christmas Day 2012. And will be richly deserved. Yes. <laughs> so I'm on board for that. Um, you know, yeah, the whole... Basically, from my reading this, there's going to be three major players beyond Peter. And two of them have been revealed. It's, yeah, Silk is the bride. Um Kane, yeah. Scarlet Spider, is the other. But then there's the Scion that we haven't seen yet. And I looked up the mm. word Scion. 
And what does Scion mean, Uncle Rob? <laughs> well, get your get your old <laughs> Uncle Rob a glass of bourbon and settle down and <laughs> shut the fuck up. I got a story to tell. Um, Scion means one of two things. It's either a person who is born into a rich, important family, mm-hmm. or it's a detached living portion of a plant as a butter shoot joined to a stalk in grafting and usually supplying solely aerial parts to a graft. Uh, I, I looked spider at, plant? I looked spider at, plant. No, I, I looked it up some more. That's cloning, kids. Oh, yeah, and a bunch of the clones went off on their own adventure in this story. Yeah, now it, it could be either meaning. So, yeah, if it comes down to the clones, we got three possibilities. We've got a Ben Riley mm-hmm. um, from Earth-94. We've got Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman slash Black Widow now from the Ultimate Universe. Yep. Um, uh, who was the third one? Um, oh, Kane. Kane. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Scarlet Spider. But he's already, he's already the other. Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking the other possibility for me, based on the first... Uh, definition, person born into a rich, important family, we got Mayday Parker. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man's daughter. Unless it's yeah. her baby brother. Could be the baby brother, too. Yeah, they about. keep... Okay, so it could be, <laughs> yeah, it could be him, too. So, so yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and I... Yeah, part of me wants to say now. Yeah, now that you're saying the baby brother, that maybe has more. Because they of a, keep bringing up the goddamn baby brother, and all he does is sit there. Like, <laughs> I know he just sits there and generates heat and waits to die. So, <laughs> so yeah, there, there's some possibilities there. Um, but yeah, it's you know, an old man spider. Uh, spoilers: he's Ezekiel. All What's right. an Ezekiel, Uncle Rob? Well, it's Ezekiel. <laughs> Uncle Rob's bourbon glass doesn't seem to be tinkling. Um, well, Ezekiel was uh, from Straczynski's run when we first were meeting spider totems and the idea of somebody has... Uh, I don't know what you're doing, but stop putting it on the table. It's creeping me out. Uh, there's a metal shard somehow got in my foot, but thanks. Okay, well, we'll get you first aid after the show. But, um, so, yeah, when the idea of spider totems were introduced and the whole concept... Again, that I've never liked, and as part of this story, I'm willing to accept it as a, as a a way to get a bunch of spider people to punch on each other. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That the spider chose Peter, which completely takes away the everyman element of the character. Right. Ezekiel was the the totem who first sought Spider Man out. Okay. To tell him about all this. All right. Um. So yeah, I mean, yeah. The the quicker we can get all that shit out of the way and just get to the big final battle, the punching. With, yeah, um, the, punching. The, the happier I'm going to be. <laughs> it's the fact that these things are part of the story is not Dan Slott's fault. They're as good a way to create this kind of situation as anything else. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's not my favorite part of Spider-Man continuity, and just never has been. Right. So yeah, the faster we can just cut to the chase on that, the happier I'm going to be. Um, when it comes to Koipel's art, realistically, there's a couple scenes here where he's got a couple of handfuls of people in Spider-Man costumes in areas of battle. Yeah. And between his ability to draw the individual costumes and his clearly working with slot to when it's going to come down to a smaller panel where you can't easily identify it, make sure that the dialogue gives people's names. Yeah. It's really an impressive job of 
making it clear who everybody is. Yeah. And there's a there's a horde of all individually differentiated spider people. <laughs> yeah. And and he keeps bringing up slot to his credit as he had done on the road to Spider-Verse for 4 or 5 months. Keeps coming up with interesting spider pits. Yeah. Punk Spider-Man. I thought that was awesome. The only one who curses. Yeah. With yeah. His stupid <laughs> spiky costume. All right, that's fun. <laughs> I can buy that. But so yeah, it was it was a really good job coordinating between those two guys and yeah, Koipel being able to show the different costumes. So it, it was really easy to tell who was who. Right. And it's something that could really easily be fucked up. Yeah. And it it worked out. So now I want I, I will say the one thing that left me they left on a, a bit of a cliffhanger and I'm I will be curious about in a follow up book. Who is it that is triggering Peter's spider sense that wants to run the show there at the end of the book? Because it didn't appear to be Doc Ock. Oh, I, I thought it was definitely Doc Ock. Because he, he didn't have the arms. I would have to look at the art again, but he no, didn't have the arms. I was pretty sure. I could be wrong. You got the book with you? Uh, it's right there. There. I'm pretty sure he didn't have the arms. Based on the angle, you don't necessarily always see them. Uh, whoa, spider sense is going off. Why? Um, I, I suppose it could be, but usually, again, getting back to the art, they make a, a point of making it obvious where they can, who is who. And Actually, they, can you pass me the book? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just... Uh, I could be wrong, but because yeah, the character is shown in shadow. But you know, he's got the spider talon hands. Yeah, okay. And that yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's Doc Ock. And okay, I, I think in that, that case, um, I'm, I care less about what I thought was a cliffhanger. I'd like them to just get to the rich beating. Yeah, that's. I think the I think Peter's spider sense is going off because yeah, Doc Ock is Gonna ready to up. to finally show that he is Not superior. superior. <laughs> yes, and that means they will not be friends anymore. You know, Ed, if I thought you were my friend, I just don't think I could bear it. I just do this now to watch you stare at the ceiling. and <laughs> Well, that's definitely the last one, because unless we've got something else to talk about there, I think we're about done. So, tune in next week, where Rob will have a whole bunch of other sound effects that he will share with the group. No. <laughs> Tune in next week based on how you're looking at me right now, Amanda, where Rob speaks in a much higher octave voice and never does that again. Uh, all right. Anything else we want to talk about on, on that or anything else? No, it's, it's, I think it's, it's continuing to be a well-told story, and I'm, I'm curious about where it's going to go, even though I find Superior Spider-Man is irritating as fuck, and I'm looking forward to the beatdown. Yeah, it's look, it's decompressed decompressed storylines there's always an issue where it's okay i'm with you let's get to getting yeah if it's if it's reasonably well told i'm with you but yeah let's let's cut to the chase so i'm ready to get down to the beat down yes all right so yeah i guess that's it um don't know where you found this particular episode but you can always find us at our home website crisis on infinite midlives.com uh yeah just be aware i plan to you know it's American Thanksgiving this week, and I have the week off my day job, so I intend to be in the website doing some upgrades. So if you come check it out, uh, you may see some stuff working a little bit wacky. Um, all depends on what beer number I'm on when I start pressing the big red buttons. But <laughs> um, 
Yes, you can always uh, contact us through the website. You can also email us. Our email address is crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Um, we have a Facebook page, and that's another thing I intend to do this week, just uh, tie those together. Um, we don't do a lot with Facebook. Amanda and I are not Facebook people in our day-to-day lives. No. There's a lot of people in my past. I, I don't ever want them to be able to fucking find me again, so I've never done a lot with Facebook. But we can be contacted through our Facebook page. Um so yeah, you can find a link to that on our home site. We are active on Twitter. Uh, we are. It's at Infinite Midlife because you never remember. I never remember it. It's already working in my phone, so I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> it's like your phone number. You don't always remember your phone number because how often do you call yourself? That's true. I don't like talking to myself. <laughs> I find myself boring and pedantic. Ah. <laughs> Almost like someone who just sits there and radiates heat on the couch. <laughs> um. Yes, uh, you can find us on iTunes. If you do find us on iTunes, do us a favor, shoot us a review, give us a rating. I think it's very clear. We're just sort of making this up as we go. Yep. So, yeah. Besides, you know, we've we like I said, we've had some listeners interact with us, and we always have fun with that. So, yeah, shoot us an email, send us a message, give us a review, whatever. Uh, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Yes. Um, and I guess that is it. Uh, this has been episode 43 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and, uh, and derp. derp. Look at my hands. I'm not moving them toward the soundboard. There's not going to be any weird <laughs> clips to close this show out. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, don't thank me or nothing. I can just reach right over. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I ask is for you to have the decency to lie to my fucking face.